Welcome to a podcast with Aaron Schultz. Men's mental health matters. Live life with an outback mind. Tom Boyd, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Thank you, mate. The wizardry of podcasting in 2023. <laughs> well, the good thing about this is we're doing it face to face in Gladstone. It is. We, um, we did try once, didn't we, recently for the behind the scenes and yeah. unfortunately technology got in the way at that time. But then, you know, as the stars would align, I was obviously heading up to Gladstone and yeah. saw the chance to sit in a room, which is always the best way to do it. Right? It is, mate. Yeah. Such a, uh, you know, I think yeah, one of the things we learned over the last couple of years is that the virtual world, um, particularly in terms of meeting and face-to-face and stuff, is a great tool, but it's... It's, uh, it's not the same. It's it, false. It doesn't have the, the same impact, doesn't have the same synergy, and it certainly doesn't have, as you said, the same mm. um, the same sort of truth behind it. Yeah, agree. A bit like, like beer. And, um, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. The year I've been a Bulldog supporter since I was four, and I haven't told you this. No, but, um, I didn't even know you were a dog supporter. Yeah. So now I feel like yeah. at least I've got a friend in there. Yes, room. you have, you have. <laughs> and the year that you won the grand final... I, I uh, helped a guy off drinking, so I gave away drinking too. Yeah. And I was in Hobart and Salamanca drinking water when you when you won. Yeah. And I sat there drinking water. I thought, oh, fuck, I'd love a beer. <laughs> but actually, like, just held held firm and yep. got through it. But well done, mate. It really was amazing to, to see, and I never thought I'd see it. Nah, so many people have said that to me over the years. Um, you know, the uh, the bulldog tragic of the world, which is essentially that we'll get close, but we'll um, mm, always fall short. It, and, it, you know, it's like an endemic psychology amongst the bulldogs faithful. And I was talking to um, um, a couple of people the other day, and they were essentially saying that um, they were really surprised by how, you know, confident we were going through that final series as players. And I was sort of trying to explain the fact that, you know, generationally, I feel like that maybe the Brad Johnsons and the you know the the Bubba Smiths and the of the world that generation that was sort of on the precipice of full time football and part time football may have held some of those spiritual connections to um, failure from mm. from that time through mm. the sort of seven failed prelims yep. and the fact that the Bulldogs were such a you know historically poor and underperforming club. Um, but for us, the guys who came through later on, we'd never seen any of that. And we were professional players who came in and learned to love the Bulldogs rather than, you know, um, and would have learned to love any of the other clubs that we would have played at, um, but sort of didn't have that same attachment to failure that mm, I think a lot of players yeah. might have had in the previous generation. Yeah, amazing, mate. Look, you know, one thing that I really liked, um, and I was going on a bit of a journey like a few years before that myself, as soon as I stopped giving a fuck, that's when things started to happen. And I, I just noticed when you were there, you, you got in the finals and then you just like played like it was like your last game. And yep. it just, just seemed to work for you. Well, I've, um, I've wrote it in the book, um, but I said to Dad, the day of the grand final, so Dad's been my sort of source of um, man-to-man advice and also um, you know leadership and guidance. He's been a very successful guy in his life. And 
very strong individual to a fault, right? Like mm-hmm. strong to the point of being a bully at times, which is how you survive in construction, particularly in the, the sort of role that he was in. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the advice that he had for me found its limits when I caught him on the morning of the grand final because dad was, you know, a pretty good suburban footballer, sort of did his time as most guys that are 63 now in the, you know, very brief foray into maybe getting zoned to Essendon or Carlton or one of the clubs at the time. Um, but he certainly didn't have any pertinent advice for a guy walking out in front of 100,000 people on grand final day. And mm. after our, you know, very awkward, um, you know, small talk on that morning, um, we basically just ended the conversation for that game. We'll just like, we'll just have to see how we go. And that lack of um, knowing what the desired outcome was at a specific level but the whole goal was just a win and I think going into that game I was like well I can't change anything now um, I've played some good footy during the year I've played some good footy during finals and now at the end of the day no matter what happens whether I play good or not at the end of the day if I have a medal at my neck that's the that's the point of the whole thing yes yeah 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 agree one thing that I'd like to ask you though is when you had high expectations on yourself, did you find when you didn't meet those expectations it rattled you a bit and actually like yeah, your confidence dropped or yeah, you actually felt like a little bit of self, lack of self-worth and that type of thing? Yeah, I mean, we, um, we had a, a great speaker, Matt Reynolds, last night talk about um, the amount of thoughts that go through your brain every day. Mm. And it was something, was it, like 6,000 to 75 or something? I'm mm. up there at 75 mm. or 74,999. Mm. I think... You know, there's two parts to, to answer your question is that my expectations were an ever spiraling upwards uh, ceiling that I needed to meet, which is, you know, it's unsustainable for starters. But equally, I was so hyper aware with such an active mind like I still have that even in the singular moments or seconds or microseconds during a game, what I needed to do, and that never allowed me to play on instinct as much as I would have liked. Mm. And look, maybe I'm just making it all up and that's just what I think because, you know, perhaps I didn't have the career that I set out to have in many ways. But I do find, and I did find that many times talking to other players that were um, very successful, they didn't think at all. It was purely their lizard brain running around on instinct and that really helped them, you know, make poor decisions on the field because they didn't think about what they're doing, but Mm. also to be so much faster than everyone else in their sort of processing. So in terms of the self-worth stuff, you know, there's the problem with footy, as amongst, amongst many others, the real problem that I found with footy is that the scoreboard for life is the same scoreboard that you play for on the weekend, which makes no sense. Like, you know, if you're a good parent and a good partner and you're, you know, trying to better yourself and trying to learn, like all these stuff count in life, except for when you play footy, mm-hmm. because the metric of success is the champion data at the end of the game and the scoreboard in terms of wins, losses yeah. and draws, right? Yeah. And I hated that because as much as football and any high-performing industry like football is, um, you know, predicated on, you know, hard work, discipline, diligence, professionalism, all that stuff, that, that gives you the chance. There is a large part of uncertainty that comes with playing sport and particularly playing footy because there's 36 players on the ground. Mm. And you can do everything right and still fall short. And I didn't like that um, because I found that in the rest of my life, you know, if I studied for a test and I put my best foot forward, I did well. I had the capability to do that, and that was in my control. Mm-hmm. And so the self-worth thing, just trying to find a way to garner some validation that I was a good person outside of the realms of the, the yes. football circles was very challenging for Oh, me. I've got no doubt, mate. You know, I'll talk to you about it, but, like, there's synergies in, in, in like, life and in the business world. 
same thing as with yep. football. And, and I know for me, um, as a young bloke coming through, you felt trapped. I felt really like suffocated with all these expect- expectations that I had to perform. When, in the early 2000s, we had what's called key performance indicators coming. Yep. And when I first started work, there was none of that. Mm-hmm. So you could just go about your business and fucking enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're having meetings about your KPIs. And it puts you into fear. Yeah. You know, it really put me into fear and I struggled with that. And then I, that's, that's what stuffed my sleep patterns around. I was like thinking about that all the time. Yeah. And that's, that's not good. Well, it wasn't yeah. good for me. No, it wasn't good. And it's not good for some people. But in the same lens, it's important to have, right? Because when you're coming through the ranks in business, as, as I am at the moment, if you don't have something to indicate your level of success, you can often feel like you're wandering through the dark. Mm. And I think the same that's, that's in footy, right, is like having champion data is really important. And having goals and targets to give some indicator of performance as a part of the whole review, right? Which is, hey, Tom, we want you to get 15 touches a game. We want you to take five marks, whatever, right? But that's only 30% of the overall weighting of whether I played well or not. Mm. It should be, you also, you're in all these contests. They don't show up on the stat sheet. You ran, look at your GPS, looks great. We saw your energy. You're celebrating with your teammates. Look at your voice and your direction here. Mm. That stuff's all helping us. Mm. That's the other 66% or whatever the weightings would be around that's what performance looks like. Mm. But from an efficiency point of view, we look at the KPIs because it's way easier to do that than to comb through the finer details of the conversations you had as a business leader, the development that you put into um, one of your younger employees, the um, BD that you're doing that hasn't come to fruition yet, but you know in 12 months' time that's going to start to impact the key performance indicators. And I think that's what the problem with being so granulated in reviewing stuff is. Mm. It fails to capture the full picture by definition. Yes, yeah, yeah agree. Oh, mate, I, yeah, we could certainly talk long and deep about that. Better to get boring. So we better, <laughs> we better not go too too far into that stuff. We'll but get a very niche audience. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. yeah, all the business people that are listening. <laughs> mate, but um, I'll tell you what, like one thing that I'm, I'm really, that I really love about you is, you know, your ability to be able to move through your footy career and into another life. But I, I, I was thinking about it before, and as a, uh, like a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old and playing in the grand final, all that, one thing that, that business does, doesn't understand and one thing that, um, that, that sport doesn't understand is these young men's brains are still developing and yep. they're, they're exposed to a hell of a lot of pressure in that time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, what do they always say? You're still developing until you're 25, right? Yeah. Which, you know, and I'm sure there's evidence to say that it could be longer. And I think the other thing is, um, you know, the it, it, take the uni years. The uni years are for mistakes, right? So between 18 and 22, you're not supposed to be accountable for a whole lot of stuff, or at least most kids aren't. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that has changed drastically, obviously, with the responsibility that is associated with the fact that everything's online and everything lasts forever. That's mm-hmm. definitely different than what it used to be to the guys who used to be able to get away with murder, quite literally, and move, <laughs> move towns down the road and no one that's would know who they were. No, but at the same time, when you're going through football, it's like the hyper-sensitive version of that where everything you're accountable for. And of course, you know, now that I sit here as a 27-year-old with a wife and a child and a career and a job and a business and everything, it's like, well, that stuff is serving me very well now because mm. all of that diligence and discipline and you know ability to push yourself and deal with pressure and stress and all that sort of stuff is really important to learn in life but the problem was it, the cost of that is so high when you do it poorly at a young age yeah. and for me it cost me you know a number of years of my life of happiness mm. and enjoyment and satisfaction and mental health and physical health associated mm. with that to get to the point where now I can 
do what you wanted to do. Yeah, so yeah. the fruits of my labour. But yes, yeah. it is a um, it, and look, this is what I say to people. You know, they come out and they they talk to me and they're like, what do you think about you know this player's done this, that player and do that. And I just ask them the same question. I'm like, what were you doing when you were nineteen? Mm. And they're like, oh, you know, ripping bongs and whatever, you know, not <laughs> yeah. working. Yes. And I'm like, and that's whatever, that's fine. But your your your, your expectation of eighteen year olds to be perfect is so ridiculous mm. because not only are you expecting them to be perfect, but you're expecting them to be perfect with a lot of money and with a lot of fame and a lot of ease in their lives. And also, you've also got this added component that they've got. 150,000 people watching them every single week, mm. you know? Mm. And whether that's, you know, for some of these guys who are playing at Collingwood, they've probably got half a million people watching a week, yes. you know, if yeah. you combine the people who are in the stands and the ones who are watching on TV. So yeah. I think that, you know, unrealistic expectation of perfection. And, and again, like the fraction of those 18-year-olds that make a mistake that they hear about is remarkable. Mm. You know, yes. these are still the absolute cream of the crop in terms of kids who are sort of trying to mature themselves at a young age. Good, good, uh, good point, and um, certainly um, with with regards to Collingwood, for example, like like the parochialism of the supporters and the blame, because really what happens is you can do a thousand good things and one bad thing, and all the rest gets forgotten about. And I'm sure that's pretty common right across the board, and it's a, it's common in business and pretty much in everyday life. You know, yep. do so much good stuff, and if you do something wrong, then uh, then that that becomes irrelevant, but. But there's so much, um, so much expectation on a young fellow, and as I said, like that, that brain development. I believe there probably needs to be a bit of a switch soon to be able to say, right, oh, we we need to nurture this young bloke. Mm. We're going to sign him onto a contract, but we need to be able to um, be part of their, I suppose, structured uh, support mechanism for life. So if they come into our club and they exit our club, we support them until such time that they can be independent themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. never going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, yeah. I look, I talk often about. You know, people say, what would you change or what would you do about the AFL? And I don't really spend all day thinking about it. But the one that has always made sense to me is raising the draft age by 12 months. And it's a very simple reason yeah. for that. And it, this won't happen either. So let's just live mm. in fairyland yeah. and talk yeah. about the hypotheticals of the world. Yeah. One of the really distinct challenges that I faced initially after leaving the game, and it wasn't something that really ruined my life or anything like that, and it wasn't that difficult to deal with, but it was very new, was the fact that I didn't have any structure for the first time in my life. Because mm. from the age of five... To the age of 23, when I retired, I'd literally been told for 99% of my life when to be places, what to be doing during the, a lot of time slots that you get, whether it be periods at school, whether it be um, you know rotations at footy, whether it be games, whether it be training, whether it be after school sport, no matter what, mm-hmm. it's like, here's where you need to be and at this time. Mm-hmm. And there's always someone checking that you're there and telling you what to do whilst you're there. Mm-hmm. When you walk out of the game, you sit down as I did on a Saturday afternoon and I think it was the first game that I'd watched um, following on from my retirement and I think the boys were getting smashed by Fremantle over there and I was sitting there going how good's this you know I can sit here have a beer um, not worry about the abuse or the review or my back or the whatever Couldn't, didn't have to worry not a care in the world by that Monday I was freaking out going what am I going to do like I need to be doing stuff and that in itself is one of the great challenges. Now to hark back to the, what I, why I brought up the 19-year-old draft is that that 12 months between finishing school and turning 19 or the following draft year is the most um, significantly different part of most young people's lives. Mm-hmm. When you finish school, you go to university, which is the schedule's all over the map. 
you've got no no you've got autonomy over your studying capabilities you've got bugger all help from the universities as to how to learn mm. you've got all these new concepts all of these new expectations you're traveling from different campuses etc 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 and then you've got all of these temptations around life and socializing and trying to find the balance between the two which is a really mm. important year like i said before it's about mm. making mistakes in that period if you did that to an afl player and you made them play vfl footy for a year before they got drafted it would 100 percent expose them to what they require later in their life mm-hmm. and give mm-hmm. them a concept of the fact that when they enter football, there is a whole real world out there that they're going to have to contend with at some stage that they wouldn't have got exposed to if they were just going, as I did, 10 days after my final school commitment, straight into football. Mm, like a gap year. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And, yeah, and you yeah. know, you have to show your own capabilities to train, to play, to turn up, to juggle things in life, to form new relationships, to play against adults, to deal with adults as peers as opposed to as a child. And all of that stuff I find is, you know, that's stuff that I had to learn when I was 23 yeah. Yeah. rather than what I would have learned when I was 18. Yeah, I agree, mate. Oh, look, it's, that's, it's such an important um, part of this chat is, yeah, like just just that, those, those important moments in your life where you, where you can really like develop emotionally yeah, but but your emotional development probably didn't really kick in until later, and you're very mature for twenty seven. But you know, you, you didn't really have to go through all that mental health stuff that you went through. Mm. I, I don't believe if, if that was probably you know laid laid out properly for you back then, possibly. Yeah. You know, yeah, it yeah. would have been different, guaranteed. Yeah. yeah, but then you know, and I think that's just where the the you know the what is it the um the the art of negotiating um, is found in the non-obvious was a quote that I heard the other day, something like that, which Mm. is essentially, whilst we're not talking about negotiating, the non-obvious bit for me is that there's no clear um, sense for me that my life would have been better not playing football, but it would have certainly been different. Mm. Um, And my life would have, you know, been completely askew to where it ended up and what I'm doing now and meeting my wife and having my child and living where I do and being experienced and meeting you like there's yes. no way we would have met if I didn't yeah. play footy yeah. and I think that the in the same breath as saying that you know I went through some really challenging things in footy you don't have to automatically assume that I would have had a better life yes. not going through those bad things mm. and I think that that's a really important designation for all of us to think about is would we have preferred not to go through the challenges in our life of course but are we better for them at, at different stages certainly I think yes yeah agree do you know what? I was thinking about it before, mate. A, a million dollars a year. If you had have had those years and you're only earning 10 grand a year yeah. and, and you were like loving your life, would you would you swap that possibly? No, I don't think so. Um, and I mean, there's reasons for that now, obviously. Mm. It didn't help like getting paid lots of money and giving back lots of money. I mean, you yeah. know, money's always been... To me, and this is clearly someone who's been exposed to lots of it, is being a vehicle basically to spend time with the people that I care about. Yes. Um, it gives yeah. you choice. It gives you the ability to do the things you want to do. I've never yeah. been the flashy guy. I don't own fancy cars. I don't <laughs> buy nice watches. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just live. Yes. And yeah. I think the, the real thing for people to understand is, and something that was very, very clear to me after I retired, is that one of the great things about football is earning lots of money one of the worst things about football is that it's a very short amount of time that you can earn that money right yeah, yeah. and if i looked at it and this is how ridiculous seven million dollars is is that if i could stretch that money to a choice that i'd have i could have a hundred grand a year for 70 years 
which is insane. Mm. I can promise you, <laughs> I have paid most, as much tax as most 27-year-olds <laughs> in the world have paid. You I, know? I can imagine. And I think yeah. that's such a different way to think about it. And, you know, to your question around would life have been better if I was paying 10 grand and loving it? Well, again, it's all retrospective into the fact that I can't change it, obviously. And I don't mm. necessarily feel the desire to change the things that I went through. But at the same time, looking at it now, it's like, you know, all of the you know things that I've learned, the people that I've met are all indicative of having crappy times in my life. Yeah. And I am grateful for that in that sense. And I think it's all... It's all perspective, right? You know, we can sit here and hate the or dwell on the fact that things weren't perfect, but then we'll all be bitter, bitter and miserable, like many people are, right? I think life, like there, there's, there's actually a plan for us, you know, like yeah. how we're meant to be and what we're meant to be. Sometimes you might go into business, or you might go into footy, and really you're not meant to be there, yeah. so you go into other things. I really like that you're doing stuff now that you're, you know, quite passionate about. And that's actually helping a lot of other people. My own personal journey is I wanted to do that, but um, just because of the way life was back then, it just sort of never never eventuated that I was able to, say, live more from the heart space. Yep. And I think you and I are probably empaths, the yep. more and more empaths. And that's sort of um, something that, that is, is, is hard to, you know, it's hard to operate that way when you're in a in a you know a really ruthless environment mm. and football is a ruthless environment and so is you know business and, and that type of thing too yeah know? i mean it's yeah. hard to monetize being nice to people it right? is like That's and, right. and it's yeah. like yeah. as and as much as i've earned good money in my life and life certainly isn't about making money but it is a bit mm. you can't have none of it and i and i think that's the the other thing and i made mention at the event last night i think one of the great challenges i find in this space and it's a big space, it's a broad space. We represent very different parts of it, I would say. But mm. the thing that I really struggle with is what is the tension between looking after people and, and still having high expectations for them? You know, because mm. I, again, and I said this last night and I'll be obscure because I don't really want to talk about, you know, individuals in my um, you know, inner circle of friends and family. But I know many people in my life who, um, who have issues, no doubt, significant mental health issues that do make their life more difficult than perhaps the next person. But I also have a blend of those people who find a way to make the best of things and to deal with their issues when they have to. And on the other side of the coin is I have many of them who let those issues own their lives mm. and they don't do anything yes. or very little. And I think, you know, I'm trying to, and I don't think any of us have worked out how to do this because we want to be inclusive and caring and empathetic, as you said, to all people and all issues. But we still will need people to see that life is great if you pursue the things that you're passionate about with vigor and with yeah. intensity and with a commitment and a discipline to wanting to do the best that you possibly can. Yes. And I just, I don't know where to sort of find myself between those two pillars because mm. I've been born, grown up as a super high achiever, high performer, um, you know, hardworking person. And I would still say that I am today with a blend of understanding a much broader array of what people go through at all levels of life. Mm. But I still am more busy now than I've ever been. Yeah. yeah. Yet I'm more aware of the issues that people face and the issues that I've faced. And it's like, I just don't know what to make, what to make of it all just yet. And maybe I never yeah. will, but yeah. you know, the never ending search for clarity is one that we all go on. But, but 27, like mate, it's going to be different when you're 30 and 35 sure. and so forth. And, what I, what I think's good for you is you're actually not in a rush to get somewhere. You know, you, you're actually flowing with it pretty well. It sort of seems to be working for you. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't really know where I'm, I would rush to, to be honest. I think the um, the best thing I learned um, and have learned over the course of my life is that you know every time that you think you figured it all out, it all <laughs> turns to shit <laughs> yeah, pretty course. quick. Yeah, that's it. But equally, um, the best thing that I've had is that I quite literally look back at myself 12 months on every single year and just go, what an idiot I was and what thoughts they had and what considerations I had and what my perception of the world was. And then you sit there 12 months later and you're like, that half of that stuff doesn't make any sense. Mm. And it's crazy that you thought that was the case. And that's, it. That's I would say, not only at the mindset level, but at the skill level as well. Yeah. You, yes. know, you walk around thinking, thinking you're the best at something and 12 months on, you're twice as good as you were and you're thinking, well, I probably wasn't the best then. <laughs> There's still people that are better than me, you know. It's a, it's a real trap for blokes. And like, we, we, we need to learn to be content. Yeah. Um, and we, we're always judgmental of ourselves and critical of ourselves. And um, I've found that's been, been a real, real trick for me, you know, uh, but it, it happens. That, 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 I think, is good in a way, but it also can be really uh, a hindrance. Yeah. You know, you've got to have some drive and purpose, but to be content to is, um, is a wonderful yeah, thing. Yeah, stop and smell the roses at yeah. times. I yes, find, and yeah. that, you know, content comes in many different forms and in many different time periods, you know, sitting there for five years and being content at everything that's going on, maybe, you know, an actual detrimental component to your life is you sort of go through atrophy because, you know, what is it? if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. If you're not using the mental muscles and the emotional muscles and all of that stuff to continue to excel, well, then they'll disappear. Yes. Um, but at the same time, if you're, as I said, again, to refer back to last night, one of the great things that, you know, men and women um, stuff up is they, they're always looking at the next thing it's always the next accomplishment that will provide the clarity and purpose and, you know, accomplishment that they feel will make their life full. Yes. And undoubtedly and invariably, they all find that once they hit that next big thing, if they don't feel grateful for the fact that they've, the work they've done and the experience that they've had, they feel hollow. It's exactly how I felt. I'm yeah. like following on from the 2016 grand final. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, life comes at you and it's, it's it, whether you can put it off for a little while or not, it's still going to come eventually. Mm. And to... You know, just keep going and going and going. It's just running to a red line. And the amount of, you know, like the typical story in Melbourne would be um, getting to partner, right, in the white collar space. So getting to a legal partner or an accounting partner mm. or a head PM in a construction company. And I don't know the stats on this. This is completely um, a just anecdotal story. But I would imagine that the divorce rates of those who hit partner would be astronomical mm -hmm. compared to um, the person who, you know, works in a, a different part of the world that's not focusing on hitting mm. that number and going, okay, great, now I'm 40. I just dedicated 12 years of my life to this business or 10 years or 20 years or whatever it is. And now I'm finally making good money. But I haven't seen my kids in eight years. Uh, I haven't spent any quality time with my wife. I don't like the work that I'm doing. The people that I'm working with are all the same as me. What am I going to do? You know, and then it's such a, you know, there's so many tragic stories after that. I was similar. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I didn't have any accolades or, you know, aspirations to get to a level like that. But I just thought getting bigger paychecks and getting, um, you know, higher statuses was going to bring happiness. That's, that's uh, your KPI. Absolutely, absolute false. Yeah. Really false. 
do you know what? It's interesting while you're speaking. Then I did a podcast with a guy a while back by the name of Jason Janice, and he was going to be a lawyer, a really smart kid. Yeah. And he was in his third year or something, I don't know, and doing a placement. And one of the partners pulled him aside and said, mate, get the fuck out of here while you can. Otherwise, <laughs> you're going to end up like me, miserable, with fucking, you know, your family hating you uh, and lots of money, but it's not worth it. So he... he such a rubbish piece of advice yeah, to give someone you don't know. Yeah, like, yeah I mean, like, yeah. I, I get what he's coming... He's probably coming from an empathetic point of view. Yes. But it's like, some people have to try and work it out as well. Yes. You know, yeah. like, anyway, it's very interesting. But that guy, he, he, he took his advice uh, and now he's a muso and travels the world and, like, fucking loves it. Yeah, yeah. Loves his life, you know, whereas he could have taken another path and probably ended up like that block. But don't you think that a large part of that is like, is it is it the industry or is it the way that the individual approaches the industry? Because mm, there are true. ways to massage difficult jobs yes. and there are ways to occupy spaces that here are historically very, very difficult in a way that is enjoyable. I've seen footballers do it, plenty of them. Mm. They find a way to be carefree, to go out there, to let the water sort of flow off their back when things are bad, to push themselves to get what they want out of it and to be very selfishly minded, not in a bad way, in a purposeful way where they're going, I just want to get this, this is what I want from footy. These are the three things. I want to be fit, make some decent money, have a good time, you know, and kick a footy around for the living. Mm. Great. That's all I care about. If I can accomplish those four things, it's worthwhile. Don't you think that's like a large part of it? It's the way that we approach the things that we do, not the things that we're doing. Hundred percent. I believe, mate. I believe one of the biggest things a man can do, and I'll talk to uh, Matt about this, is to have this like this this anchor that we we it's not negotiable mm. that we, we 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 base our lives from. Yeah. And and that really is the foundation of of, of the way we approach life. Yeah. And then everything else revolves around that. If that gets into in, in the road of that anchor, then we don't do it. But if we actually have that anchor and that core, and we know that's that's our baseline from when we get out, where we're sticking to that, because that's really what we, well, who we are and what what we are. But you yeah. know, I just think we get distracted, and that's when our, you know, our, our health goes a bit haywire above the shoulders. Yeah, and that I think you know what the, the simplest one for me is that that has just become so simple in the last twelve and a bit months since my daughter was born, <clears throat> which is, you know, we're currently sitting two and a half thousand k's from her and my wife obviously but I went that my equilibrium is based on the fact that I can spend enough time with them mm. and it's very obvious to me when that's te- teetering over the edge which it is this week mm-hmm. whereas I've just been gone basically all day Thursday I've gone Friday I'm here it's Saturday and I'll be gone until late tomorrow and then I've got to fly out on Monday to go to Sydney mm, for a couple of days yeah but you can guarantee that I won't be traveling for a little bit after that yes. and the Monday's work, instead of going to the office, I'll be at home. So if I have time between tasks or meetings or whatever, I can see them. Yep. And, you know, I also am very lucky with the work that I get to do, that I do get to travel and meet great people. But there is a cost to that always. And there's a part of me that looks at it going, you know, how much can I tolerate now? But the other question is, how much do I want to tolerate when she's five mm-hmm. or when my next child hopefully comes along or when they're playing sport when they're 13. Mm. And is it better for me to lean heavy into travel when they're younger? Probably. Because I don't want to be the dad who's not able to take them to basketball training or to footy. And so we all make these calculations all the time, but to your point, the anchor has to be explicit and concrete. And that's not something that you can, you know, dilly-dally around with. Yes, yeah, interesting. I, I, um... 
you know, personal story, like I was flying around, carrying on, you know, through uh, probably some important parts of my kids' life too. Yeah. Um, and when I when I was there, I, my my mind was just totally fried, so I was never able to engage properly. You know, yeah. I really, I, if I had a wish, I wish I could go back and relive my kids' life again. Yeah. You know, like have those formative years all the way through, so I could be more present. Yeah. Because I was chasing the money, you know, yeah. and and I didn't. It, it's that's what I thought would make everyone happy and make me happy, but it, it didn't. You know, I, mm. I get that, and um, yeah, and it's not yeah. again. It's like it's the not obvious, which is that. No money's not going to make them happy either. Mm, no, that's true. Yeah, it's balanced. Exactly. Kind of yeah, yeah. It's always so challenging because I get, you know, I, don't, I get peeved off by people saying, oh, you know, you know, money. What is it? Money doesn't buy you happiness, but it buys you a better form of misery. <laughs> Pretty I like much. that one. Yes, that's, a, yeah. that's a good one. But also, you know, again, this is the same. It's the same concept behind the, you know, how do we look after people? But how do we expect them to get the most out of themselves? It's like, how do we accept that money is a part of life? And it has been for a long, 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 long time. Mm, <laughs> like, mm. Even back when it was gold. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. But equally understand that it's not enough to fill the void um, that we all have. Yes. Yeah. And how do you find the balance between those two? Which is the, that's the non-obvious. That's how they're trying mm. to master life is trying to find the tension between those two things. A lot of people are searching for that answer. Yeah, there's a few, few that have got it right. That's sure. I was going to ask you... Um, who are the players that you've observed that have done the AFL system with ease? Well, firstly, um, I'll explain the, the, the type of person it is. So from a um, footballing landscape, there are 45 players on a list. 20 of them are worried about the next contract. 10 of them are the best players on the team and their expectation for them is to play well every single week. And if they don't, yeah, SEN or 940 or whatever, they'll... Bash all over him. Yeah, yeah, straight away. I was one of the top ten. But then there is this weird contingent of like seven players who, and it's different for different clubs, but are basically between 10 and 17, who the expectations for them is to go out, have a crack, to be consistent, to maybe kick a goal every other week, to tackle and chase and, you know, just play their role, the role players. Mm-hmm. And some of them are on, you know, they're on 450 grand and doing really well. And they're the players, I think, that have football easier from a positional point of view. Mm. Now, it's always hard. There's no, no one has it easy at AFL level. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. Um, but in terms of the types of players, I think, you know, a lot of the country guys have done well. Um, a lot of guys who, you know, and I mean this lovingly, may not have been considered in the number one IQ group in the, in the team. Mm. A lot of guys who... Um, you know, have interests outside of football. You know, Nick Voston is one of my best mates. He's a, um, a superstar from Richmond. He's, his ability to find things outside of football to do and to entertain himself, all things that are good contribute to football, you know, surfing and mm. doing his helicopter license and um, going out to the bush and whatever, going out to a farm. Like, he just does everything that he wants to do. Yeah. That stuff... Um, you know, those types of players find football the easiest, mm. who can t- work out, to your point, to engage when they're not there. Yes. Um, you know, from a distance, I think, like, the guys, like, the, a couple of the Geelong boys look really obvious that they've got it under control. You know, Jeremy Cameron's got a farm, and Tom Hawkins has always had a farm. Like, you know, Paddy Dangerfield moved down the, co- the coast, which I was always envious of. Yeah, these guys are obviously superstars as well, so, you know, mm. that comes first. But yeah. I think those, they're the two characteristics. It's one, it's like that carefree, free-spirited person. But the other one is like, 
positionally where they fit into the actual demographic of the team. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about Geelong because I observed uh, as a young bloke, some of the guys that played in Melbourne, they actually went down there, they seemed to find a level of freedom and they were able to just, like, you can yeah. see they were happier. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I... Um, People have often said, and I never even looked into moving clubs when I was at the Dogs. Now, it would have been hard to move me on a million dollars a year, but I'm sure I could have worked something out financially. But, and it's not a regret. You know, football wasn't for me. Um, and I don't honestly, which is really nice actually, I honestly don't look back and regret leaving ever, mm. which is great because that's a really, would be a really hard thing, I think, for some people. Mm. But what I do have thought about is, you know, and what would have been if I'd been playing in Geelong? Now, Geelong is a hotspot for um, Geelong as a football club. Like, you know, that's why I think the Tassie team will work, right? It's like you don't need to motiv- motivate half a million people. You just need to really highly motivate 100,000 and your club will be fine. Yes. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, you know, I often think what it would have been like, could have lived in Anglesey, would have been like, you know, very relaxed community, mm. um, very calm area to grow up in. Yep. near the ocean um, as opposed to right in the heartbeat of Melbourne, Melbourne yeah. which I love by the way yep. absolutely love being yep. in Melbourne yep. but when you're in Melbourne and playing footy it's a different thing mm. it's like kerosene and fire you know? <laughs> I can imagine too so, and, and it's so like the weird thing is that football is so popular in so many parts of Australia I mean we're sitting in northern Queensland and I tell you what they love it up here now there are many places they don't love it Aussie rules in Australia but at the same time there is not one place in Australia that is one-tenth of the intensity of Melbourne and football. Mm. Because Perth is a city of a million people, or a bit over. Melbourne's you know, pushing seven, I think, now, and everyone follows footy. Mm. It's such a just a volume of um, intensity around that place. And that's why it's so fun, right? Like walking down Swan Street before the grand final is one of the greatest things you can do. But... If you're a player, you would want to do it before a game or afterwards for that mm, matter. So mm. it's just, you know, it's just an interesting thing. And, and once you're out of it, like football, amongst other things, football is very insular. And when you're sitting there in the game, you think the world looks a certain way and then you get out and you're like, oh, okay, this isn't best in practice. This is not progressed as far as I thought it had. These people aren't as capable. But then equally, you see the inverse of that, which is like, holy crap, people in business have no idea how to have a feedback loop with their manager. It's like, how do they do their job? I used to sit with my assistant coach, um, do an individual review on a Sunday, as in putting it in text, sit in a team review Monday, sit in an individual review with two coaches often in separate lots on a Tuesday, do a a line review, so say forwards, backs and mids, and then do a planning review, which was, here's what we did badly this week and how it will affect us this week, last week, and then this week. And also, here's what we did last week, which is really going to expose the team. It's like, that's seven things yes. in one week. Whoa. And then I hear people don't catch up with their individual line managers for like a month. And you're like, what do you do all day? <laughs> like, how do you know what you're doing if it's right or if it's wrong? Mm. And to, to the point we were talking about before, like the worst thing in, you know, many people can have is lack of clarity. And then they find themselves freaking out because they don't have KPIs or they don't have, or they have KPIs and no understanding of how to achieve it. Yes. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's just been a very interesting transition for me. One person's name that come to me before and we're talking about those like sort of in the middle players, 
was Liam Picken. Yeah. He seemed to just be able to go out there and, like, do his job and not really get caught up with some of the shit. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Liam was quite cerebral. Um, very smart guy. Great guy, to be honest. One of the, my favourite teammates over the years. But, yeah, I mean, I got to see the best of Liam um, because Bevo was really a key instigator in unlocking his potential. Um, and obviously his final series is one to remember, particularly mm-hmm. in 2016. But before that, you can't imagine that being a tagger was going to be fun. Like, for a guy who's got his MBA in finance and, you know, scratched and clawed his way to getting an AFL career and then he has to tag Chris Judd. <laughs> like, you can't imagine that he wasn't sitting there going, at some stage, hey, I wish I could do a different job. But... Also, I'm sure that Pico is such a gracious person that he would have been sitting there going, I'm just so grateful to be here. Mm. But, yeah, he um, yeah, he, he flew under the radar a little bit. I would say, who I'm trying to think, so Joel Hamling was very good at it when he was at the Dogs. Very sort of cruisy, honest, broom kid. You know, mm-hmm. grew up on the shores of the northern, northwestern parts of Australia. Um and, you know, there's a few others, but to, for the vast majority of players, football is a stressful existence because mm. if you're not worried about how you play, you're worrying about your job mm. and never having job security yeah, and worse. worrying about what to do. And, like, you know, it all sounds great. And for many people, I'm sure, listening to this, getting paid 200 grand sounds like a lot of money. But if you're living an AFL player's lifestyle, it's quite expensive. You, I mean, you can't live with your parents for the vast majority of it. You're going to pay rent in the inner parts of Melbourne. It's going to be expensive. You need mm. to travel need to have a good car that's reliable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's just the bare minimum. And you get any paying, obviously, top marginal tax rates. It's, like, that's just, it's not going to keep you warm for 12, mm. more than 12 months when yes. you finish for a lot yep. of players. Yes. Um, yep. So, yeah, it's not the existence, I think, that a lot of people would presume it to be. Mm, I can imagine, mate. It's, um, yeah, like, it's a bit of an illusion, isn't it? We sort of have these... Um, these uh, ideologies of the way life could be or what it actually is. But, yeah, there's so much in front of you, which is, you know, chewing that, that money up or yeah. whatever, or chewing your life up as well. Yeah, but, you know, what's the easiest way to chew your money up other than obviously blowing it is not working. And, you know, when players finish, and I think we presume, like, we look at the AFL, you know, list and say, oh, well, they're, the average wage is 320 grand or whatever, which is a lot of money. And... A lot of that is dictated by, you know, idiots like me who are on heaps more than that, um, which is obviously bringing the bar up. But a large portion, it's like any bell curve, like a large portion of players are under that number. Mm. Um, And if you look at those players and you go, yeah, but he's a 22-year-old on 200 grand. Like, I would be 22 and be on 200 grand. I'm like, yeah, but what about when you're 32 and you're on 200 grand or 120 grand or 140 or 60 or 80, whatever number it is, doesn't really matter. Mm. That guy has no guarantees that he's going to get there because he's wasted, wasted, air quotes, his time where he could be educating himself or starting his apprenticeship or whatever the job or industry goes into and then starting to work. So by the time he's um, he's 32, he's 10 years behind you mm. at best. Mm. So, you know, it's like anything. Is There's always, you know, if you look at it in isolation, it's easy to make judgments. But if you look at it as a whole, it becomes much more ambiguous. Yes, agree. One thing that came to me then is Acker was 33 and he got out and he said life wasn't exciting enough. Yeah, he you did know? mention that last night. Yeah, like uh, I spoke with him about it a while back and he just said, what the fuck do I do? Yeah. You know, and he sort of was duck shoved into a few different careers and played a bit of footy and that to keep him going. But... Yeah, you know, he he actually admitted that he's he's got ADHD now. Yeah. You know, which is pretty common. But um, 
but yeah, I'm in for good footballers, well, and well, highly successful people. Yeah, goalers, and, and for him to do that, you know, he's 46, so 13 years ago. Yeah, I don't think he would have been able to actually like come out with something like that back then. You know, yeah. like it's um, it's taken a while to actually like find that, you know, that that level of um of diagnosis, understanding, or whatever it is, but. Now I think he's he's actually like living life like on his own terms, and I think he's like really found a bit of a niche. Yeah, well, I mean it's like anything. Like impatience is the death of creativity, right? Because if you don't have time, like you don't have time to think about things. Yes. And yeah. I think that money is a large dictator of that time frame that you have to do what you want to do. And one of the very lucky things that I had was I I had some time. Mm. I, you know, I started working straight away, but I didn't need to be at you know a full career's wage in the first month or two yeah. you know I didn't have five years of runway but I had a mm. you know a little bit and you know before anyone listening they're like why don't you have a runway given you earn so much money you know mm. I have a house and a mortgage just yeah. like everyone else yeah. so um, you know I think for me that's what I really invest in and that's the scary thing for players right is like you know take out the take out the individual personal experience so Akka's you know conversation around not having excitement in his life mm. Players who don't have any time to continue to try and fund the lives that they have when they finish, and this is a large portion of players, like I really want to be clear about that, they chuck themselves into industries and roles that suck mm. because going to work on the tunnels as a general labourer for 180 grand is way better than trying to start from scratch as a apprentice on 35 grand. Mm. Mm. And, you know... They, what, what, what kills me about that is that in that process, they destroy the advantages and experiences that they've had as footballers, which actually make them extremely capable people. Mm. And eventually, you'll talk to them 10 years later, and they're just like everyone else. Now, I understand that everyone can do what I do. I understand that not everyone can do what many of the ex-footballers do, being in media or whatever it is. Right? I, I get all that. But I look at some of these people that I know who are now doing jobs that they're just getting told what to do, where to be, what to, and like they're just part of the mm. the rat race or whatever it's called. And I'm like, you were one of the most impressive people that I ever worked with. I would have followed you into anything. And, you know, you would have succeeded. But the fear that dictates people when they are uncertain mm. means that they throw themselves into those jobs that I mentioned before and it's just sad to see that capability just fall away as they just amalgamate themselves into what everyone else is yeah, doing. Yeah, good point. Uh, that's a good point and it's becoming complacent would be the word. Like sort of just like, yeah, someone that's uh, like being a high achiever and then just sort of going back into the soup again. Yeah, my high achieving yeah. days are done. Yeah. Is yeah, what some people yeah. think is the end of footy. Yeah. And, you know, like, again, very unique case but I look at Chris Judd and I'm like, Chris could have gone a thousand ways when he finished, right? And I know he delves very briefly into the media, which I think is quite a story, actually, but um, we won't air that here. Um, but you look at what he's doing now with his investing stuff and the, you know, role he's playing. Like, it's... He didn't have to do that. He could have gone and sat on boards or been on TV or, you know, jumped around reality TV shows. Or, and I'm not criticising people who do that, but to, to walk away from the spotlight but to continue to try and excel. And again, I don't have any real personal knowledge of how well Chris is doing, but mm. I, he's always been a hero of mine, being a Carlton mm. supporter growing up. Mm. I just find that so endearing, watching players who had you know, sucked up the spotlight because of their brilliance and can do it without the spotlight but still have the intrinsic motivation to go out and do great things. I think mm. that's awesome. Yes. Oh, mate. Oh, 
It's something I, I haven't thought about him for a while, but even even Gary Ablett's the same. Yeah. He's just created a lifestyle which is sustainable for himself outside of like all the hype of it all. Yeah. I guess, you know. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I think there's something really nice about it. Because you're still gonna be who you are. I mean your accomplishments never never fade. Yes. And I still, you know, I, I'm aware that I still lean into my football experiences, but a lot of the stuff that I do, I do vastly under the radar. Mm. Um and it's great. Because, yes. you know, Utilizing the skills and traits that you've learned over the years to do things that are, you know, really great and impressive, and people go, "Wow, that was awesome!" Without needing it to be in the paper, it's just a great part of being a normal person, right? Great. Yeah, a lot of your life was all highlighted, wasn't it? So it's good to be able to be away from that now. Yeah, I don't know what the we should do. A we should get AI to do a, an analysis of the sentiment of. My, my public persona. <laughs> 95% of it, I reckon, would have been either uh, indifferent or negative for the most part. Yeah. Um, and the volume of it was so high at the, the height of it all. So. Yeah. Do you know what, mate? We better get to the footy, but um, I was going to ask you, there's probably the three most influential people you've had in your life so far. Oh, Dad, definitely, um, for a, a variety of reasons. Um, but, you know, he's sort of the... If there was a Australian dream, the American dream, he's pretty much it. Like you know, not so much from the immigration point of view, but someone who came in and started with a very, very, you know, middle class, lower middle class family, and worked his way up to being really successful. Did a lot of it on his own, um, and also the values and the leadership capabilities. I mean, Dad's been a leader of men everywhere he's been since he was sixteen years old, and I think that as a you know as a trade has been always someone that I've tried to sort of live up to. Yeah. Um, trying to think who else from a influential point of view. I mean, I've got some guys that I work with now who've really helped me. Um, uh, Dan Spitty is my boss at Ever Perform, and I think, you know, he's, what is he, he'd be 10 years older than me. And, um, you know, I think I've rubbed off on him as well, but he's been really important for me in not only personal development, but teaching me different things and exposing me to different conversations and seeing the value in what I have to offer outside of the regular rings of what you know an employee should have mm. so he's been really important in in the last couple of years in particular and you know I think the other one that comes to mind is Mitch Wallace who's my best man for my wedding mm. and, I, and look to be honest I don't know if he would describe and I don't yeah maybe influential is not the word we'd use for each other but I think just you important. know important Important. Yeah, important, yeah. important, and like you know, obviously this goes without saying that my wife and my daughter and my family have obviously mm. been. But if you're talking about you know the the thing that people see when I turn up at an event or work in my job and um, you know contribute to society, um, yeah, I think there there's this there was a really interesting conversation that I um, listened way back around if one person is trying to figure out a problem on their own. They try a hundred times and they fail a bunch and they eventually solve for it. And how long that takes to progress versus if you have five people all trying to solve the same thing and sharing what works and what doesn't, it's like not five times quicker, it's a thousand times quicker mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. And I think for me and Mitch, I think that's a large part of what we play with each other is whether it's family stuff, whether it's work stuff, whether it was football, whether it was relationship based, as in like relationship with other people other than just our you know wives at home, mm. 
whatever the problem was, we always tried to help each other solve for it. And yeah. I think having someone you can trust with your best interests um, that is in a similar part of life to you is yeah, so incredibly important. important. Yeah. You um, did you have a relationship with him before the Footscray days or after? no? God no. We 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 became best mates in about three weeks when I joined the club. It was just like breathing. Um, mm. You know, we you know, but for for the many great traits that footballers have, many of them are very like isolated in their attention span towards the game, mm. and. I was always interested in other stuff. I wanted to talk about business. I wanted to talk about, you know, silly as this sounds, like how tax worked or how, you know, income worked or what opportunities there were to invest. And I wasn't investing at that stage, but I wanted to learn about it. Or, you know, we wanted, we both had partners at the time who are now, um, that we're married to. So, like, there was all these things that overlapped for us and we understood that football was a job and a job that we worked very hard at and wanted to excel in, but we knew there was a life beyond that. And I think that's sort of why we were endearing to each other. Mm, amazing, mate. Yeah, like, sorry for another day, I probably wouldn't mind having a chat to Mitch, but for someone to uh, finish football at 29, pretty much parallel how his father did and sort of, you know, not leave on, on great terms, for him to be able to move on has been probably pretty admirable to, you know, sort of see him put that part of his life behind him and then sort of move on to, you know, more of a purpose, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think Mitch would say that he's still looking for his purpose. Yeah. Um... And, and, you know, for him, I think that will manifest in some career of some description. Yeah. Um, but he's got an incredible family, um, and he's obviously a big part of that. And I think, you know, it's been so great to see him, you know, run into, you know, dad of two kids. And, mm. I, like, the great thing about, the really challenging thing about football is when they finish, I know we've got to wrap this up, is, like, getting them to understand that life is different. Um, it's really hard. Like, they, <laughs> they still think that, they have this excuse to not see their family or to have everything on their terms. Because when you're playing football, the sacrifices that your better half and your family make are undeniably large. And mm-hmm. they, and to be frank, they need to be because the club doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> the league doesn't care and your opposition on the weekend doesn't care yes. about what's going on at home. Yeah. You know, like the easiest thing to represent that that I remember is actually about Juddy was when he was going through the finals in 06 and 07, I think this may be... Um, could be wrong, but I, I think it was at that period of time, 05, 06, was that he used to sleep in a hotel before the finals to avoid because he had young kids. And that sounds like, oh, yeah, but, it's, but he's preparing for a game. It's like, yeah, but if you take the football out of it and you just put a normal job in that place, it's crazy to think that you would leave your screaming child with your wife just so that you can sleep well before your next day at work. Like, yes, there is an element of balance and obviously give and take with relationships, but um, when players finish, they still think that that exists a lot of them and they go well you know um, one of the great things that Syke told me early days was the biggest challenge a spouse's face is that when they see their partners who are athletes lying on the couch they think they're lying on the couch and what they're actually doing is recovering because their job requires them yes, to do it that's right yeah. um, and that's great and it lasts until the day that you finish and then you're not lo- you don't <laughs> no longer get to lie on the couch <laughs> there's no excuses no. anymore and I think it, Mitch yeah. has done a great job of um, you know, taking that next step and understanding yeah. that life is not about his football anymore and it never will be again for any of us you know? mm, that's it yeah well, it was great you can move on and, and, and find other things to uh, you know light you up and, and, yeah. and live your life 
um, you know, on track one, I think you're doing that, mate. I think you're actually like really making a difference. I haven't read your book, but I'll probably uh, need to. Yeah, it would be um, good yeah. preparation for the podcast. For sure, yeah. <laughs> I haven't done that, mate. I'm hopeless. I, I'm, I'm, I've got a couple of books next to my bed, and I just read a, a page every night, and that puts me to sleep. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hopeless at reading. The funniest but, thing um, is the amount of people who've told me that I'm sitting there on their mantelpiece next to their bed for months. And I'm like, so you're just staring at me every time that you wake up in the morning. Because my it. cover is... Yeah. Um, half my head, I suppose. I wrote a book too and so is mine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, <laughs> yeah, they, they haven't thing. changed anything. Pretty much, mate. It'll be like that forever. So, yeah, you need to be proud of yourself for doing that. No, I appreciate yeah. it. And look, yeah. the same thing I said before around, you know, if if you think you stop being a high achiever when you're playing, you know, finish playing footy, I think it's a waste. And even in more pertinent to my case, if the best thing I ever did happen when I was 21 for my entire life, I probably taking my foot off the gas yes you know. agree mate so yeah. a lot of life left to live a lot of great things to do a lot of good people to make the best yet to come here I want to get hold of you to speak or do anything at the footy club or anything how do they go about that oh LinkedIn's the easiest yeah. um, or Instagram whatever okay. contact me anything LinkedIn would be the most yep. easy manager pickers yeah, yeah, but then I have to pay them. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, you know, James would, James and Liam are very aware of that. So, um, yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn if you want to talk to James or, yeah. um, or the boys at Bravo. I'm more than happy for yeah. you to do that too. Easy, mate. It's been a pleasure. Really grateful for the chat, mate. We were to go and uh, see how the suns go. That's and, it, mate. Um, they might even try and talk you in the plane before we, uh, before we start. Well, to end the podcast, if they win today, they will break an eight-year streak of 125 wins straight from your poon. Mm. So it'll be a night if they do that. That's true, and you're going to be part of it. Yeah, well, you know, maybe I'll be watching. <laughs> I might have decent red wine. That's right. Very so good. There we go. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate.